need a lot more help. And I'm going to keep about it. I promise I won't do what a Baptist pastor friend of mine did when they didn't have sufficient people to work with the kids. Everybody came in one Sunday, and he just sat there, and the musicians sat there, and like 10, 15 minutes, finally stood up and said, we'll worship together when all of the positions are filled. <laughs> so we, got out, you know. uh, we won't do anything that radical, but I will keep reminding you and asking you, this is a great project, perhaps for a Sunday school class to say, we'll do it. There's just, they're asking for only a, a very few Sundays a year, but we need you doing it. Our kids need you. And so there is sign up at the back. Uh, we have a good start, but lots more. Then uh, we're actually, we ordained officers, but we're already starting to ask for any recommendations that you have uh, for people that you think uh, might serve as elders and deacons. And there's information on that. It's, it was in the Friday email. But start thinking, praying about that, or get in touch with Tom Bell, he'll talk to you. Finally, winter relief. We have a lot of people coming here uh, for winter relief again this year. This gets, basically gets homeless people off the street during the coldest time of year. They come in, they stay with us for a week, I think, better part of a week. We've got everything filled, I think, except the greeting. So uh, find out about that if you're willing to help with that. A tremendous opportunity for ministry. Doc, you've got your board. Why don't you come talk to us about crates for Ukraine?
Our scripture reading this morning comes from Isaiah 42, 1 through 9, and Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. And Philippians 2, 1 through 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who thought he was in Sorry. Who thought he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Thank you. We're looking again from Matthew's Gospel at these two baptismal pictures one flowing out of the other. Uh, We're in Matthew 3, and we looked last week at John's baptism and asked why John the Baptist was baptizing. And we're just going to review that very, very quickly, but we're going to be looking and focusing in on the second question, which is, why was Jesus baptized? Which was John's question that we'll hear him ask. So would you turn or if you're using the screens, look up at the screen. And I'm going to actually begin, although we're going to be looking especially at verses 13 through 17, I'm going to begin reading at verse 11 of Matthew 3. John is speaking here to the people, and he says, I baptize you with water for repentance. 
But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, but do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he, that is John, consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. The Gospel of Christ. Thanks be to God. Okay, just three questions this morning. The first is, again, why John's baptism? Why was John out there baptizing? And if we're not clear on that, then what follows won't make sense. Secondly, why Jesus' baptism? John asks him this, why are you coming to me? I should be receiving baptism from you, not you receiving baptism from me. And then the final question, which is always the question or should be, which is, what are we to make of it? What are we to do with it? What does this have to do with you and me today and tomorrow when we get up for work? Uh, I think too often we study the Bible out of a sense of perhaps interest in knowing what it teaches or perhaps a sense of guilt, uh, feeling this is something we should do, but always remember that the, the final crucial question that we need always to ask is, What am I supposed to do? What is God calling me through his word to be, to do, to become, to seek, to turn away from? What what does this word from God require of me? So that's going to be our final. And I hope by the time we get there, it will be somewhat obvious. First of all, again, why was John baptizing? We saw last week that to invite Israelites to come for baptism was actually a profoundly insulting thing unless they realized how broken and far from God they'd become. Because baptism at that point in Israel's history was how the nations, the outsiders, the Gentiles, who desired to become a part of the family of Israel, that's how they came. Men and women together were baptized, and then the men would be circumcised, and then they would be taught the Ten Commandments, the laws of kosher, the various things that marked out Israelites as unique among the nations. But John standing, calling people to come for a baptism of repentance was basically saying, you have to now come the same as anyone else. And remember when the religious leaders, both the religious conservatives, the Pharisees, and the religious liberals, if we can use that tired expression, the Sadducees who didn't really 
believed the Bible was God's word uniquely, didn't believe in life after death, didn't, but they were all the priests and leaders. When those two groups came out in number with the people, John didn't say, oh, thank God you've come. He said, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, you brood of vipers? Wow, he knew their hearts. And I think one of the keys is John was calling people to repentance. We read that when the people came and were baptized, they came confessing their sins, which we have to do to repent. It starts there. But confession is simply acknowledging, yes, I have done these things. And it perhaps is asking, should be asking God for forgiveness. But repentance is something far more. Repentance is now this change of mind in which I no longer see things the way that I once saw them. And I'm no longer going to continue in that direction. I'm changing direction. I'm going to live anew. Now, we don't ever, this side of glory, repent perfectly. But repentance means that we have begun a new direction in life, a new way of living. And that's what the Lord wants of us. Now, here was the problem. John said, I baptize you with water, but the one who's coming after me is the one who'll be able to baptize you with the Spirit and with fire. In other words, you can confess and you can clean up your act to some degree and you can seek repentance, but what you need for this is the power of the Holy Spirit and my baptism does not have that. It points to the one who is coming. It prepares the way. It gets people under conviction of sin longing to amend their lives, longing to live in a new way, but looking for the one who alone can bring them full forgiveness, full and free, and empower them to begin to live truly repentant new lives. So John's baptism was crucial, and it was the place where God was going to reveal his son but also, in a sense, people say, well, where's the Trinity in the Bible? Well, it's all over. And this is one of the key places. Because here we see the Son coming for baptism. We see the Holy Spirit descend upon him. And we hear the Father's voice say, this is my Son, whom I love. And Matthew will end his gospel by telling us this is what has been entrusted to you now. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey. We Presbyterians are great at the cognitive part, teaching them good, solid biblical doctrine. Yes, everything rests on that, but it's to deliver a transformed life. And I don't know about you, I'm a whole lot better at the doctrine side than at the repentant life side. So that's why we need what Jesus came to bring. So if, if John was pointing to Jesus and Jesus comes with the people to be baptized, why is Jesus baptized? What is Jesus' answer to John when John says, you come to me, I should be baptized by you. Jesus says, let us do this now, for it is fitting that we should fulfill all 
righteousness. What's he talking about? This is, this is crucial. The, the first key word here is fulfill. Remember last week I said you can never understand the New Testament unless you spend increasing time in the Old Testament getting to know it. Because the New Testament only makes sense when we realize that it is fulfillment of everything promised and pictured in the Old Testament. So the richer the Old Testament becomes to you, the richer the fulfillments in the new. So Jesus says, we must fulfill all righteousness. What's he talking about? I'll give you what I think are the two classic texts for this. Just, you know these probably, just listen as I read Psalm 2, the second Psalm. Now, let me say a word too. A, a lot of us are, are terribly grieved. That's what, especially those of us who are older who've known a better time in American history, are grieved at what we too often see happening in our culture. The, the people just refusing to get along and, and negotiate and try to find a way through. Uh, people treating each other, not as enemies, but as people with differences whom you then have lunch with and have, we, we long for that and we're grieved and we look at what Russia's doing in the Ukraine, we look at pr the pressure on Christians and any other group in China that doesn't salute uh, communism. We see hard things all over. We continue to see horrible violence in our own country that just breaks our heart. And it is easy for us to say, what are we gonna do? Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be involved politically in standing for righteousness in the public square. Of course, God's truth, all truth is God's truth. And we should always be ready to take a stand graciously, lovingly, humbly. But listen, step away for a moment from our immediate context and look at this world through God's eyes, which is what Psalm 2 does. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Remember from last week, anointed is in Hebrew Messiah and in Greek it is Christos, it is the Christ. He's saying the rulers of this world are actually in full rebellion against the living God and his Christ, his Messiah, the one that we're talking about this morning. Now, is, is God deeply troubled and concerned about this? Like, you know, my, my purposes are going to be thwarted. I'm not going to be able to bring my will to pass because of all these armies marching back and forth. No. The, these people are saying of the anointed, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. This is God's perspective. Don't ever forget this. He who sits in the heavens laughs. Remember that the next time you think everything's out of control. Can any sense be made of this? He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury saying, as for me, I have set my king his Messiah on Zion, my holy hill. And now the Messiah speaks prophetically. 
I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today, I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Can you hear Handel's Messiah in, in that? So magnificently that text sung. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. That's the first picture. That is the first thing that is being fulfilled when he says we must now, or it is fitting that we fulfill all righteousness. This picture, he has come as the son, as the conquering Messiah. But it's balanced with this second picture that we heard in our lesson from Isaiah 42. Isaiah begins talking in these servant songs about the one who's coming, this great conqueror who is coming. And what does he say? Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I've put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. What will it be like? Oh, he will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be dis discouraged until he has established justice on the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Now, if we had time, which we don't, um, Isaiah keeps picking up this servant song. He'll talk a little about the nations and God's judgment, and then he'll go back and tell us more, sing another song about this servant that he introduces here, the one who's coming, the one who is his son, the one on whom he will place his spirit, and it culminates in Isaiah 53, where he speaks of the servant, says, there was nothing about him that was lovely to people. His visage was so marred. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows. And then he says, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement, the punishment, that we deserved was put on him. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the sin of us all. Brothers and sisters, the great central message, the theme of the scripture, somebody says, what is the great theme of scripture? Here it is, it's God on mission. God on mission. He created us, we ran away, and he set out to bring us back. And the nations rage and the kings shake their tiny little fists. And he sometimes comes down to get a look or he sits on his throne laughing because all of this he knew from before the day, the moment when all this burst forth at his word. But how does he set about ruling and reigning and destroying wickedness by taking it on himself. 
How does he wield his weapon? He puts it in the hands of his enemies and takes your brokenness and mine, your rebellion and mine, your sin and mine, and he puts it to death. Paul said, he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. I remember when I was a seminarian and uh, I was working in a Presbyterian church on the South Shore, but every now and then I got, I got out and got to go to other churches around. My older brother was going to Grace Chapel in Lexington and Gordon, it was the glory days of Gordon McDonald's ministry. He was a young man then, I was a kid then. But I'll never forget, I was there on a baptism Sunday. And he pictured this so movingly. He talked about Jesus being willing to come to baptism with the sinners. And he said, you know, here at Grace, we're great about uh, having name tags for everybody who comes in. He said, imagine if these people coming for baptism, if we required that they write their name and then write in magic marker for all to see the sin that they are most ashamed of and most wish that no one would ever find out. And so they're standing in line, looking away, not wanting to give each other eye contact, certainly hoping nobody looks at their their name tag and not wanting to look at anyone else's, actually dying to, but not willing because somebody might look at theirs. And he said, then imagine Jesus comes to the back and picks up the entire pad of name tags. And he walks up to the first person and, and says, you know, why don't you take mine? And he writes Jesus and puts it on and takes that name tag and puts it on and walks to the next and writes Jesus and puts it on that person and takes that name tag. John, self-righteous jerk. <laughs> and I'm down the line. So Gordon said, when finally we come for baptism, Jesus is standing there in the midst of us with all of our names and all of our sins. And we're just standing there with his name. He came to fulfill all righteousness and to turn an old covenant matter that could depict it all but couldn't bring the power. He came to deal decisively with our brokenness, our sin, our rebellion, to put it to death forever and put his name on us, his righteousness. And he turns in that act baptism into something of power a place where God wants to give us his own life, his name, his truth. He, John said, will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And so what does it mean to us? What should it? May I read one more text? Um, This from Acts 19. It's an easy text to miss if you're just, you know, reading through the Bible. I was talking with a young lady back there, and she's in her through the Bible in a year thing, and I was commending her and telling her the first time you'll be so gratified when you complete it um, because that's a big accomplishment. But you won't probably have much idea what you read. 
The second time, if you stay with it, the second time, you begin to make unbelievable connections. By the third time, it's like a supersaturated solution where you all of a sudden take a crystal and drop it in, and it, or a, a seed crystal, and it turns, it, it turns into a crystal. That begins to happen around the third reading. So don't read too fast. And if you're reading Acts, note this. Chapter 19, the opening verses. Do you remember this wonderful scene? And it happened that while Apollos, that eloquent preacher, was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. Now this means that these were people who believed in Jesus, believed the Messiah had come. But what does he ask them? He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we've not even heard there's a Holy Spirit. That's pretty much like a lot of evangelical churches I've spent my time <laughs> Disciples, yeah, believe in Jesus, but what's this about the Holy Spirit? And what does Paul say? He says, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. So these were Jews, Jews who were there during John's ministry and had had his ministry, but then had heard him point and say, behold the Lamb of God. They'd followed, they'd believed, they believed he was risen from the dead, they'd identified, but all they'd ever known was John's baptism. So what does Paul do? Verse four, chapter 19, and Paul said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and when Paul laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And dare I finish the verse? <laughs> and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. Okay. My younger brother, who received that gift graciously from the Lord when he wasn't seeking it, I told him I've had a lot of good people lay hands on me and have longed for whatever God have, but all the languages I learned, I had to do the hard way with teachers and textbooks. Um, but the mark is they were changed, they were transformed because the Holy Spirit came on them. So the question is, and I'm always preaching to myself. I believe that God has given me His Spirit, but I, I'm, I'm like a sieve. Uh, somehow, it, the Spirit seems to leak out of me as I go through my day. I, I love that line of John Piper's. It sounds so un-John Piper-ish on the one hand because he's such a fierce Calvinist, but he sometimes says, I don't wake up a Christian, I have to become one all over again every day. This is what he's talking about. He's saying that every day you and I should seek in one form or another to remember our baptism. And if you were baptized as an infant, to remember when you reclaimed it as your own and became a communicant and began going to the ordinance, the sacrament of God's supper, of the Lord's supper. But to say, if indeed I have been given the Spirit of God, why am I still struggling with this? Why am I still talking like this, thinking like this, doing this? And what would it mean to say, Lord, you've given me the means to repent I want to see these things that I've let myself get all tangled up in. I want to begin to see them in a new way. I want to change. You've called me to clean up my act. 
you've also enabled me. Not like those going down to John. You've given me all the means necessary to begin cleaning it up. I won't get there until glory, but I should be on my way there because the conquering king came. And I love the fact, and I'm done with this, finished with this, not done with it, but I'm finished now, for now. Do you remember that incredibly beautiful scene in Revelation where John has the heavens opened, a door into heaven. He's seeing things that prophets and kings and students of the scriptures have longed to see. And he sees one sitting on the throne with a scroll sealed up with seven seals. And a voice says, who is worthy to take the scroll and open its seals? In other words, who can do the will of God? Who is worthy? Who's worthy to do God's will? And no one is found in heaven or on earth. And John begins to weep that no one is found to open the scroll and and make God's will known and, and do it. And then his angel tour guide, I guess, says to him, don't weep. The conquering lion, the lion of Judah, will open it and do the will of God. And you can see John wiping the tears from his eyes, lifting up his head and looking to see the mighty roaring lion like Aslan from Chronicles of Narnia. And he looks, and what does he see? A lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. Because the most powerful thing in the universe is self-sacrificial love, the love of God for us and what he wants to work in us as we learn to love one another as he's loved us. Father, thank you. Thank you that Jesus went down to the waters and joined us and took all of our brokenness, all of our sin, which he fulfilled upon the cross when he offered himself up. And I pray that we will not live as those who still have to burden, to have to bear the burden of our own sin. May we daily, even hourly, just confess and repent. Pour out your Spirit on us, I pray. Oh, Holy Spirit, come begin with me how I need a fresh outpouring of your Spirit. Would you do it again so that the church in this nation and in the nations of the world might actually begin to look again like the church? People giving ourselves in love to you and to one another. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Let's stand and sing.